What is happening, sir? Going on, Matt. How are you? Doing well. Good, man. It's good to uh, good to get to do this. And yeah. Get to meet. We just we've had the phone calls, but um, good to be able to good to be able to do this, man. Appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us, man. Yeah, looking forward to getting to know you guys a little bit more and seeing if there's anything I can do that might help elevate your relationship with your kids your role as a dad i mean man you're you're talking our stuff talking our language right there man um so no super appreciative and um super casual man and the way we're gonna you know way we'll do this and you're okay if this goes out as a podcast too yeah you're good on that yeah for sure just cool. like a, a warning real quick i got a kid home that's been throwing up all morning so if i get interrupted real quick it's because i gotta i'm so sorry i got vomit on them but Oh, oh, that should be good. So sorry. Well, all fair warning too. that some of these guys for no reason will just throw up while we're on the calls too. Like they'll just puke right on the video and it's really weird. And I don't know why they do that, but they've done it the whole time. So it's all good. No, I'm sorry to hear that, man. If you have to do it, you know, you've got a bunch of dads here, man. So yep. if you got to go hundred percent, man, so no, no worries at all. Um, well, we want to dive into you, man. I want to dive into you personally for, um, a few, if you're okay with that. And then I really want to dive into your work. I love what you're doing. You know, we had, um, obviously a lot of very similar thoughts and a lot of similar ideas when, when you and I got to connect. Um, and so I'd love for you to be able to share your work too, with these guys. And then they'll have some, you know, have some questions, uh, on that as we kind of go into a deeper dive. Um, but I think the most important question I can ask, man, is why is your last name not Patterson, right? Because, <laughs> Because when Jake Herbertson goes, hey, man, you've got to meet Dan Patterson, and I go looking for Dan Patterson, and I can't find him because your last name's Peterson, it really throws me off. So why is your last name Patterson? I've known Jake for two years, and he still can't get my name right. Dude, I love it. It's the best. (laughs) It's the best. And did you guys meet uh, through through Dad Edge? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. I've uh, been a part of that group for a little over two years now, about two and a half years, actually. Very cool, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Larry's Larry's a great guy and, and uh, have had the opportunity to do his show. He's come on with our young men too, and um, a, a dear, a dear friend too. So yeah, that's very cool, man. So let's start with you, man. So who we can, we can do the bio stuff. That's always fun. But who do you say you are? Let's go with that first on who you say you are um, and what you're doing on the day to day. And then we'll get into like what the actual work is and how you got involved in that. Yeah, I um, just kind of off the cuff. I'm a dad who takes his role as raising children super, super seriously. Um, part of that is um, just kind of stemming from some challenges I had growing up as a kid and some things I wish my dad would have given me that he just wasn't equipped to do. So um, very, very intentional with my my children. I got three kids, two boys, four, uh, 12 and 17, and a daughter who's 14. Mm. and um love them with everything i got and be committed to doing whatever i can to elevate like the skills um just kind of um wholeness for me that i'm solid both mentally physically emotionally spiritually so i give them what they need my kind of my mission in the work that i do is i i want the parent-child relationship to be as good as it possibly can so that kids don't have to undo a lot of things as adults mm-hmm. or do a ton of extra work as adults and doing things they didn't get or trauma that they were dealt with. And um, 
I think part of the way that I go about doing that is giving parents a set of strategies and tools so they can create a story and a narrative that's going to serve their children well. And it's one that they're going to be proud to uh, speak into their life and that, you know, eventually the kids start to speak it um, upon themselves. So that's that's huge, man. You're speaking our language. And, and um, you know, I think when you and I talked, we talked about um, I, I lost him. I can't hear you. Did you? Let me know if you can. Oh, got you now. I mean, OK, no, you're good. Um, you know, I was just saying you're speaking our language, man. When you and I talked, one of the things I remember we were talking about is is preserving those the factory settings for a young person, what we're calling the factory settings, you know, kind of this, this curiosity, this wonder, this joy, the resilience, the, the, the desire to work hard, the desire to grow that effort. Like that's something that we're born with, but what you said, you know, is, is whether it's through our parents doing something to, or holding something back from us, that starts to shape those stories. It starts to shape the narrative. And then, of course, culture plays into that and school can play into that and the surroundings can play, right? We have all of those different things that start to create the stories for us as well as we're growing, right? And you're you're doing a lot of work to combat that, man. And I, and I really appreciate yeah. that. You mentioned it, your dad, you know, hey, I want to do these things and, and um, I didn't maybe necessarily get the leadership I needed. Is that what drove you? to get interested in in diving into this work is that the primary driver or is there something else that drove you yeah there, there's a couple of factors um like first i'm the oldest of six boys and boys. my parents got married when they were 18 because i was on the way yeah, yeah. <laughs> by the time my parents were 32 they had six children so like my whole childhood my mom was either pregnant or breastfeeding and my dad worked construction and, you know, running his own business. So my, my parents weren't really equipped yeah. to be parents. They were just kind of thrown and tried to figure it out as they go. But they were behind the eight ball the whole time. Yeah. So I, I think the variables that really led to me doing the work that I'm doing now is one, um, I was put in a role where I had a ton of responsibility to help take care of kids. Mm-hmm. All my brothers when I was growing up. So I just have a heart and passion for children. And I'm really good at it. <laughs> I just yeah. connect well with kids. I understand them. Um, oftentimes I'll say if I'm in a group with a bunch of kids, I feel a lot more comfortable than I'm with a bunch of adults. <laughs> yeah. um, so just having a heart and passion for kids. So uh, kids that are struggling, they're just, my heart bleeds for them. And I have like a framework and tool that I know I can help. So that's one thing. The other thing is um, I, my parents were stressed all the time. They're just overwhelmed. And when you're stressed and overwhelmed, you're not making great decisions. Mm. You're not in tune with what the needs of others are if you're trying to put out fires all the time. So I really want parents to have everything they need to really connect with their kids, build their kids up, know how to discipline in a way that's going to teach skills and teach accountability and how to take ownership as opposed to you know, um, discipline when you're frustrated or irritated and trying to use punishment and consequences Mm -hmm. to really shape behavior. To me, that just, there's always like stress and confusion and fear that's attached to that. At least that's how it was for me. So Mm -hmm. those are kind of the variables that led to where I'm at right now. That's powerful. And do you think um, this concept, you know, when you're talking about this intentionality around how we raise our children, not doing the, you know, based on the fear and the whole, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm with, it was very much a, you're going to do as I say, not as I do. And, and 
Yeah. You, if I'm not doing it and you better do it. And if, if you question why it's because I said so, or else, you know, I mean, it was definitely yep. that kind of, and that was somewhat of a pervasive mentality for a while, I guess, culturally too. I mean, there was that. So this concept is we're talking about the intentionality, you use the word strategies, right? Like strategies around how to actually build this, build this strong human being who's got the right narratives going on. Um, do you find that that is something that is really a newer thing culturally, like intentionality? Are we getting back to a, a, a way it used to be of some sorts? Or do you think this is something that, no, nah, man, really previous generations really haven't focused on that intentional parent-child relationship like this, or maybe other cultures have, like in your research, where do you find, you know what I mean? Is like, are we cycling back on it? Are we sure. tapping into other cultures? Or are we really kind of on the, like the front, you know, the front doorstep of something that's like, man, people should have been talking about this for a while, but we really haven't been, you know, kind of what, what are you saying? Uh, like transparent answer? No idea. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I think about this a lot where like, what was my parents' generation? What was the generation before yeah. them and them? And like, I, I just don't have the history books to go back and interview, you know, my great, great grandfather and see what it was like. But I, I, I do think with both parents needing to work, mm -hmm. um, our attention is spread thin, our time is spread thin, our bandwidth is spread thin. And we have to be more intentional now because we have less time. Yeah. And and I think if if I look at back at my parents, I don't, I don't know about all you guys on the call, but most most of the families um, that like my friends' parents, yeah, the dad worked, the mom stayed home, mm -hmm. right? So you know, I, I think kind of the role was mom, you take care of the kids, dad, you take care of providing, protecting, um, you know, taking care of the home and everything, and and so now with both parents working a lot, I think there's a lot more fathers that are very, very um, in tune and connected and want to be the best father they can be yep. um, in addition to helping out around the house. So I, I don't know. I just feel like we're spread yeah. and the roles are kind of confused sometimes or blurry. And so, yeah. yeah, no, I think you're right. And then there's the the culture, like you said, the, there's the cultural differences, right? You've got, you've got more women in the workplace. You've got, it's, there's different strat. I mean, regardless of whether or not the, um, the intentionality was was there before or not it's also a different world there's different things we have to deal with as parents yeah. now that literally just didn't exist uh, even a decade ago you know so i mean that obviously has sure. to play into it too so as you're helping these families i'd love to hear like kind of the day-to-day -day, like the the different things that you are doing i mean from a tactical not the actual strategies themselves necessarily yet but from a, um, a business standpoint, like what are you find yourself doing? Is it a lot more speaking? Is it individual coaching? Is it group coaching? Like what, you know, what are you doing? And then in the process of that, I'd love to dive into what are some of the most common, uh, I guess, trends or, you know, I don't want to say mistakes. I'll, I'll say like the most common trends you're seeing that parents are struggling with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so just a little background, and then we'll get into my day to day. Yeah. So I I have a master's in clinical psychology. I'm a therapist mm -hmm. uh, for a little over 25 years. I've been working with kids that have behavioral emotional problems. 
in, in a ton of different settings, schools, clinics, I go into client homes, um, you know, special ed schools, hospital settings, like just kids that are struggling where they go to get help. And about 10 years ago, I, I shifted from doing direct care to kids to coaching for parents. Because what I found is um, when kids are struggling, there's a lot of treatment professionals and um, opportunities for kids to get support. But oftentimes the parents are kind of left out of that. Or they get updates or tools here and there, but there's not a real direct focus on how do we train, equip, elevate these parents so that essentially they can maximize the impact. Mm -hmm. And so I, I created a coaching process to help parents that have kids that are struggling, aren't responding to typical um, discipline. Um, and, and so what do I do? Like 90% of the work I do is direct coaching for parents. Mm -hmm. um, I do some speaking. I've Used to do a lot of consulting for schools, mm -hmm. but then COVID hit and all the schools shut down and then schools are like chasing their tail all the time, trying to figure out like the next best thing. So mm -hmm. every time I get momentum in a school and do coaching and professional development, a new leader comes in, they scrap it and start over. So what? I know nothing about that. <clears throat> yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> probably speaking, yeah. speaking your language. So, I, you know, I, I do um, podcasts. Um, you know, I'm a guest on podcasts quite a bit and I'll, I'll do some training speaking for like churches and communities, but most of my day-to-day -day is doing Zoom coaching for parents. Got it. Very cool. Um, yeah. So what, what are some of the biggest struggles you hear? What are the common themes I guess you hear from parents? I guess even before some of the, <clears throat> you know, the, the struggles, like what are some of the common themes that you're, that you're hearing? Cause what, one of the things you mentioned, you know, you're talking about young, young people with like the behavioral and the, you know, the emotional issues and, and you said special in the special needs community. One of the interesting, interesting things that I have definitely seen um, trending over these last, I'd say the last decade, um, is working with a lot of parents who come in and especially as we're building out these schools, they say, okay, well, are you, are you accommodating of, of kids with special needs? And I have found that I very much have to unpack that question because they say yeah. this, and that can mean anything from here to here. And a lot of times things that are being diagnosed as special needs, I'm sure. looking at the behaviors or looking at the person and go, oh, you mean they're a child, right? Like yeah. you mean they're a young, that's not a special need other than they need good parents and good adults around them, right? There's not an issue that's actually going on here. Where are you getting told that there is an issue, right? So you've got all of these, you know, I'm sure you're seeing uh, this this wide range as well um is there truly an uptick in special needs yeah, so spe yeah special needs can mean anything yeah like it, it it, it could be somebody in a wheelchair it could be somebody that can't speak it could yeah. be somebody with down syndrome it could be a kid that is emotionally charged up all the time and has our time managing their anger yeah right so special needs doesn't mean you have a disability it just means in in the school setting it means for some reason, you're having a hard time with your education because there's other things that are getting in the way. It could be behavioral, emotional, developmental, whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and what, what I have found is that the mental health field sucks. Mm -hmm. and, and I represent the mental health field because the way that we go about treating children is we give parents and professionals these checklists to fill out, these symptom inventories, which is inadvertently training them to look for problems. Yep. 
right? And, and then when we don't know what to do, we put the kids on medicine as a way to try to control them or sedate them or manage them. And, you know, th this is pretty scary, but um, I was at a workshop a couple of years ago and they were talking about the diagnosis of ADHD, mm. um, ADHD, and um, this is kids, adolescents, and adults. 75% mm. of the time, a diagnosis of ADHD is a false positive, mm -hmm. meaning they have the symptoms that might fall in there, but it's not true ADHD. It's something else. Could be trauma, could be, you know, chaos in the home. It could be just ineffective parenting. It could be absence, absent parenting. Um, I have a kid that's extremely anxious. And so when he gets anxious and worked up, he's super angry and agitated and on edge mm -hmm. and he can't sit still. The teachers think he has ADHD. I want to, <laughs> he doesn't have ADHD, right? So uh, there, there is an uptick, I think, in mental health problems. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if there's an uptick in actual true diagnosis, but regardless of what's going on, if the adults who have the most impact and have the most influence, have the right skills, have the right framework, mm. um, they're going to know what to do. And that's that's really where my passion's at. Very cool. La last thing I want is parents trusting a professional to fix their kid. Yeah. That is a very, very helpless place to be as a parent. And yeah. that's where my heart goes out. It's like, I want you to be the coach. I want you to be the therapist. Yeah. And you to have everything you need so you're not relying on a system. Yes. Yeah, very much the way we're looking at education, too. I mean, it's that same thing. It's like, look, we're going to provide this environment, and that's mm -hmm. fantastic. But we want you, you're always and forever the primary educator. We're not, there's no way for a teacher, a there's no way for somebody else to step into that role. You're always and forever going to be the primary educator. So how do we partner with you on that and make sure that during the day, there's also this rad environment for this person to continue to be educated that is very much in line with who you are as a family um, and how to help you get better as a family, too. So, yeah, right there on the same on the same page. What, why the uptick? Do you have any, any insight on that or any thoughts on that? Sure. Why the, why the uptick? Why are we seeing this for, for these young people so blatantly, um, you know, why, why, why is this a trend that's rising over this last decade? Yeah. For, for my, for my opinion, my personal and professional opinion, um, electronics, technology, social media, especially especially for younger kids whose brains are developing and being trained to be able to attend for 15 to 30 seconds at a time. Mm -hmm. You know, try sitting and having sustained attention when it's something that's probably not the most interesting. Um, if you're so used to being stimulated over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, I, I also think being exposed to everything that's going wrong in the world at your fingertips and constantly being bombarded with that. Um, there's an uptick in anxiety symptoms because of that. I think both parents needing to work and parents being, you know, just kind of maxed out and kind of their, their ability, there's less probably connection time at home. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I don't know, like for your audience, but in community I live in, and this is just one generation removed. So like I said, I was the oldest of six boys from the time I got up until the time I went to bed, I was outside running around. Yeah. Right. And now it's like, unless you're on a travel athletic team, yep. that's where kids are getting all their socialization and all their activities. So as far as being bored and going outside and figuring things out, yeah, creating chaos, which I think is healthy, especially for boys. <laughs> sure. 
you know, it's it's like your entertainment is playing video games online with your buddies or going to a structured practice. Yeah. And I, I like I think there's a place for that, but it's it's just so extreme is the amount of time and like that's probably sixty yeah. percent of the conflict I have with my kids yep. is they want to be online. Yep. Right. Or they want to be in the room or yeah. It's just, it's just hard. Like my parents didn't have to battle that at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and we didn't, and, and we didn't, um, we didn't, maybe we didn't know it at the time, but there is an element of, there is a biological um, and social need. There's a physiological need. There are these needs that are being met for young people when they are allowed to get outside, figure it out, be involved in free play with other young kids not at the mercy of an adult orchestrating the entire interaction. Yeah. There the biological and physiological needs are being met with that. And you are being allowed to grow and grow at a faster rate by having that. If we are eliminating that opportunity, that there is there is something there. There is something that gets stunted there. I, I you know, I, I'm just thinking. Like my, my boys, especially my youngest, he's 12 now. What I hear from him all the time is like, I'm bored. What do you want me to do? Yeah. Right. And and I'm thinking boredom is like the precursor to creativity. That's exactly right. Right. And and when I was bored, like I, we used to dig, just get the shovels and dig these giant holes, yeah. throw a bunch of two by fours over it, throw some plywood over it. And we had an underground fort. Yeah, man. Right. And, and like everybody was or just get a bunch of pallets and nail them all together. And now you have a fort and um, some of the stuff we did, yeah. you know, was pretty dangerous and it would have been great to have a little bit of supervision. But, <laughs> man, as far as like feeling like I'm equipped, I have what it takes. I'm like becoming a man. I have that adventure and that challenge like that stuff just naturally happened all the time. I worked itself out built in, man. Oh. Yeah. Um. I definitely want to get into the parent side of things as far as like some of the trends you're seeing. Gentlemen, you know, we've got a wealth of information here too. So if you guys have questions as these start to come up for you guys, we got a bunch of dads here, man. Put your hands up. I'll start calling on you guys um, early, man. We'll get the get the conversation rolling. I see what is, we got Peter. So I'm interested in hearing Dan's opinion on why the drop-off in parent involvement is happening. Um, are you finding the mental health of parents is declining in recent time or are they lazy? I think that's a couple of different. I like those. Those are, I think those are different questions too. Are you finding the mental health of parents declining as well? I think that's related to what we just talked about. Um, is there an uptick in laziness for parents? Yeah. And then, and then Peter, I'd love to hear what you mean as far as like parent involvement. What exactly do you, do you mean there? Cause I think you're right. I, I, I see a number of things. I'm looking at this question going, okay, I see some parents that there is no, there's a lack of involvement and they're not intentional. And then I see some parents where they've turned involvement into being the overlord of their child's life. And that is their concern. Yeah. And that's crushing for the young person too. Um, so do you want to expand on that, Peter? Uh, on yeah. That person for yeah. Me? Can you hear, you guys got me on. All right. Yes, sir. We've got you, sir. Yeah. So I, I where I'm coming from is I remember years ago when I was a, a athletic coach and I had developed certain programs. One one thing that I identified, and Dan, I'm curious on your opinion on this, where the more we create these environments where parents don't have to be directly involved in like these uh, or like 
you know, whether it's a sports organization and, and, and there's just like they can dump them off you know, these structured lives that are so laid out for kids where parents can go off and go shopping <laughs> instead of like, you know, my my sons grew up playing hockey their whole lives, lacrosse, basketball, everything. And, you know, one of the reason I coached was because I wanted to be directly involved in their lives and be present yeah. in those moments. And I didn't really quite honestly trust the people that were involved. So um, do you think these, these real structured kind of like you brought it up at the beginning, the outside, you know, specialization in sports and all this different type of stuff where we don't just go outside anymore and <laughs> go, you know, um, I used to try to be as intentional as I could with my two sons who are now older um, by, you know, saying like, you know, let's go try this together first. You know, if they got into lacrosse, I'd buy the lacrosse equipment so I could make sure I could play with them in the backyard in addition to bringing them. But that's where I'm kind of coming at it from, Matt, is our parents not capable mm-hmm. nowadays because we've created such a structured world mm-hmm. uh, probably with good intention, but we've taken creativity out of it altogether for parents with their children. So that's kind of where I was coming at from that. I like that question. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, I need to think about that because yeah, so again, being the oldest of six boys, all of my brothers, including myself, we we all played sports. I, I played basketball through college as well. And um, we we never had all these like specialized training and we were all like really extremely good athletes, <laughs> you know? So I, and you know, the younger guys in the neighborhood played against the older kids and the older kids like beat the crap out of us. Right. I almost wonder if that was kind of like what we needed to elevate our game is playing against higher competition and kind of this, hierarchy of dominance <laughs> that just kind of worked itself out in the neighborhood. Um, my dad coached all of us and he laid a really, really solid foundation for excellence in sports. And then um, just as we got older, he had to kind of stop coaching because he couldn't do six kids at the same time. But I, you know, I, I'm just kind of thinking out loud. I don't know that I have the the, the right answer for you here, but um I would love to be more involved in my kids' sports. But being in these organized, like, travel leagues, there's all these politics. You have to be on staff. You have to do it a certain way. Like, it almost limits the freedom and creativity of the parent. Mm. Right? And, you know, a lot of these are, like, closed practices, like you said. Like, drop your kid off. You can't stay. You can't interact with the coaches. It's very separate, and it's a lot different than it was. Um, just like one generation ago it's creating a divide um, yeah one of the other things too and i like that one of those initial questions peter that you had in there too was um the mental health of the parents right because that's it's related but also uh, it's also a separate question too like do you find that as you're working with this we're seeing this uptick for you know the the young people that are struggling for a, a lot of the reasons that you mentioned right the electronics culture um, you know, all of those things that are happening, are you seeing that uptick for parents as well? I, I would say vast majority of the parents I work with, if I look at like, you know, the moms versus the dads, most of the moms have anxiety disorders, mm. super anxious, super worried. 
um, very, take everything like really, really personal. Their kids misbehaving. Um, you know, they start worrying about the future and like just this pervasive like worry that really it, it turns into helicopter parenting, micromanaging. You have to be on top of everything. Um, and that's one of the hardest things for the parents that I work with is to help them develop some better boundaries and let go and stay in their lane. And a lot of them are just really worried about being judged and critiqued by family members of their, their neighbors of their family or family and friends, even the schools. Mm -hmm. I think that's another thing that schools, um, aren't really aware of when they call parents and tell them, you know, here's a challenge or problem that's happening at school. Like most of the parents I work with, they start developing anxiety disorders when they get a call during the school because it's the school communicating something that their kid's doing wrong. Yeah, they start. You know, do you, I, I don't know if the guys on this call have kids in public school or they're all part of the schooling that, that you're initiating, but... All of the above. Yeah, we've got all of the above. And, and I have three kids. I probably get 15 emails a day. One from the principal, one from the teacher. You know, my kids are in middle and high school, so I have multiple teachers. You know, if my kid misbehaves or has a problem in one class or in like one day, I probably get four different emails. And if I'm a, a parent who has a kid with some challenges and maybe they have multiple problems throughout the day, these parents are getting 15 calls or emails a day. Yeah. Like, of course, you're going to be anxious about that. Yeah. Is that Matt, cool? can I? Could I just add one last thing on it? I'll be quick. Yeah, you're good. You know, Dan, also, like, I think it's like we used to use sports, right, when we were growing up. And, and when I was raising my kids, when I started 23, 22 years ago, it was about using sports as a link to life, right? It was bridging that, like, it's just you use sports to teach about life. It seems like, even, and I was guilty of it also, uh, and my son played a Division One sport eventually, but it seems like people are starting out at six, five, six years old and using it as a conduit to either college or yeah. maybe, maybe their own ego, right? Mm -hmm. Or unlived life that they never got to live. So it's just curious to me too, like maybe that's where the breakdown could be, right? Because I remember sitting at the rink, people would just funnel out cash for the extra sessions in the off season and all the dads would just go drink at the bar. <laughs> and it was like, well, what are we really doing here? How are we really teaching sports about life if that's what we're doing while they're out in the ice? So that's just one last thought. Yeah. No, it's that's good, man. It's a good, it's a good thought. What do you, Peter, are you what do you think on the on the mental health side of the adults? Do you think, I mean, just I know it's anecdotal, you know, maybe on your side, but do you do you feel like there's an uptick that you're seeing too trending? You're asking me? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. I personally do just from being around it um, so extensively. Uh, and now with my nephew and my niece and what I do with them, yeah. um, I think what we've seen is it's just back to my original point about just the reliance on the system. Mm -hmm. and, and just to say, like, we don't have to parent mm -hmm. because now we've just tried, we've convinced people. Yeah. falsely, by the way, because as you know, my wife's an assistant principal in the city we live next to. And quite frankly, it's just this, this drop off in this trust that like, I don't have to parent. So here you go, because I'm not capable. And somebody put it in the chat about equipping. And, you know, I think it's that we've taken the burden off of parents on the parenting. And this, everything we're doing with Apogee, right, is 
I don't I think parents we've let them off the hook and so they don't have to work on their issues because we we've convinced the society that we have all these systems in place that will take care of your kids just trust us don't look into what we're doing including sports that's why you see so much in my opinion you see so many problems and Tim put out a video about you know um uh, I forget the word for it but like kind of like what predators do to get close to a child, whether it's a coach or something like that. I mean, I, I think there's a definite uptick in it. Um, and I, I just sitting around with other parents and you're going like, wait a minute, you're telling me you're doing this so your kids can learn that sports relate to life. But then you're putting them in the car or the truck and you're yelling at them about their playing performance, which shouldn't matter at all, quite frankly, as long as there's effort. You can have a conversation around effort. But youth sports is supposed to be about developing skill in to fail, quite frankly. Yep. And so I think with the parents, I think it's – I love what you're saying, Dan, because you're not saying that, yeah, we can try to fix children. But if we don't fix the parents and the mindsets of the parents, you might as well just not even try at that point because you have to go yeah. in those families. Well, and what – what, and let me just speak to that for a second. And, and this is why I switched from providing direct care to kids to really honing on parents. I, it, I, I, I've been doing this 25 years. I would say I could count on maybe just one hand how many parents did not want to be part of the solution, but they don't. They they just don't know what to do. They're, they feel out of control, helpless. Their kids like really, really struggling, and they're relying on all the experts to fix it or to follow their advice, and it's not helping, right? So, like asking for help and saying, "Hey, my kid's acting out or my kid's struggling. I don't know what to do. Can you help me?" That takes a lot of humility and transparency, right? And so, how how do we like as a profession create you know an environment where it's it's not bad to say I don't know what to do. It's not a judgment on you. You know, a lot of parents just don't ask for help because they're worried about being judged and how they're going to be perceived by others. Good word, good word. Does that help you? Copy that, Mr. Speck. Hey Dan, uh, thanks for joining us today, and um, you know, I really appreciate appreciate the work that you do because I think it's very very important. So thanks for doing thanks for doing what you do. I had uh, two questions. Are you familiar with the book, Hold On to Your Kids by Gordon Newfeld? No, I'm not. Okay. Um, I read that book recently and I, I really, really liked it. I felt it was really powerful and got to summarize it real briefly. He talks about nowadays more and more children are growing up with like peer attachment. Basically, they're being raised by their peers, which isn't, which isn't good. That's not how children are supposed to be raised. Um, you know, they want to be raised by their parents and they call that parental attachment. And they're saying, you know, that parental attachment needs to be maximized for, you know, longer periods of time than it currently is for the, for the kids to be able to develop, um, the skills, you know, the emotions and, um, you know, everything like that to be successful individuals later in life. So I wanted to get your opinion on, on your beliefs, um, of, of that to see if you're in agreement, but since you're not familiar with the book, um, I guess I'll go ahead and jump onto my, my, my second question. 
we live in Phoenix, Arizona. I, I, let me back up. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, two boys. They're, they're very active. They're, they're very wild. My four-year-old has a big hole dug in the backyard. So when you were talking about digging holes, <laughs> I was like, yes, like we, we got that covered. There's literally yeah. times where he's like, Hey, can I go outside? And I'm like, sure. What are you going to do? And he's like, I'm going to go dig in the hole. And I'm like, awesome, dude, you know, have fun. And he has a blast digging and, you know, doing his thing out there. But living in, in Phoenix, Arizona, where it gets like 110, 115 degrees for you know months at a time, it's difficult to do a lot of things outside. And what we've noticed during these months where we're inside more, you know, they run out of things to do. And then, you know, I'm going to say they start, I'm going to say misbehaving, not misbehaving, yeah. but just behaving, you know, acting out, throwing tantrums. But Otherwise, when the weather's better, they're out all the time, all the time, going to parks, going on walks, playing in the backyard, you know, doing any number of things. And they just behave so much better. But if they were to always be inside, you know, you think they'd get diagnosed with ADHD or have some some behavioral type issues. So I think that may be one issue too. It's like, yeah, the kids not having it, these kids out there, they're not having any problems, or they don't have any problems. They're just not getting to be kids like they need need to be. But my question is. What effect, if any, is something like that going to have where they are cooped up for, you know, the summer, let's say, and they're not able to do the things they, they want to do and they end up um, expressing these behaviors and acting that way? Is that going to have any lasting effects on a child? Because that's one thing we're a little concerned about. Hmm. Well, it's, it, it, it's interesting that you're super aware of the the two different scenarios your son's in if if he's getting plenty of exercise and fresh air he's better behaved yeah he's a, he's an angel he is he's an angel he's perfect it's amazing yeah so that's that's what he needs so when it's too hot and you have to be inside like it, it would make sense to me that he's not getting what he needs yeah. so so kids this is how i looked at at behavior all, all behavior is communication Misbehavior is communicating that there's something I'm needing that I'm not getting. And here's here's my way to scream to the, the mountaintops to get people's attention. And if you're a parent that isn't in tune to that, you're going to see it as annoying, as frustrating, as there's something wrong. Yeah. You know, so the fact that you're looking at that is, okay, he's misbehaving. It's not because he has a diagnosis or a problem. It's because there's some need that he has that isn't getting met. And it sounds like a physical need, mm -hmm. right? Like if all parents and teachers look through that lens, we'd be very creative at solving problems as opposed to throwing our hands up and saying, sit, sit down, be still, call the parents, you know, fix the problem, put them on meds, get them in therapy, which is more sitting and more sedating. <laughs> um, as far as this being like a problem that's going to, you know, grow and exasperate, I would say, of course. Yeah, I guess I wanted to ask you this, just to do your background in, in psychology and working with children for 25 years, any long-term effects that we have to worry about that, worry about with this? And are you talking about in general or for your specific case where your kid needs exercise and doesn't get it? Um, for our specific guy, you know, like, for example, yeah. is this some, is it, should, should we move to a different state where they're not cooped up for three months? You know, is this going to affect him mentally? as he as he gets older or are we just being crazy i don't think you're being crazy i think you're being really wise <laughs> um I, I i would say um if you can move for sure do that 
because yeah. if your kid loves to play outside and that's when he's the best behaved and he's not on his you know his a game and you guys have the means to do that like for sure especially when they're four you know waiting till they're 12 and trying to make that decision is going to be a lot harder but i i would say one one of the things that we do because we're in chicago area right now it's freezing cold nobody wants to go outside or it's dark at four o'clock when they get home from school yeah um my kid's got a membership to the trampoline park yep. and i take him a couple times a week with all his buddies and they just go jump for like two hours yeah and totally different human like we just find ways to get exercise and burn off steam in a non-controlled environment like a trampoline park yeah. indoors yep. when the weather doesn't doesn't uh cooperate yeah. Yeah. And Phoenix is really good about having a lot of places like that too, indoor activity places. And we do that quite a bit, but sometimes it, it seems that it's not enough, you know, unless you're going yeah. there every, every day and my wife stays at home with the kids, which is great. Um, it's just a lot to try to go to an indoor trampoline park or something like that every day, you know, two to three days a week is more, more realistic, but then it's those other days yeah. where, that we, that we start to notice this. Um, somebody mentioned in the chat about vacation to cooler climate that definitely helps, but you know, a lot of times that's only two to three days, you know, maybe yeah. one, once over the summer. Um, but yeah, we, we are trying to move out, out, out of state. That, that's our ultimate goal for next year. And that that's one of the reasons. But I just want to get a better understanding is like, is this something we should practically be worrying about? Or is it just in our heads? And it sounds like it's, you know, if we're able to definitely do it for the kids for this reason. Yeah. And what Clinton put in the in the chat, too, man, about the. um you know, uh, about the pool, man, like, yeah, uh, he's already dug the hole in the back, dude. So like now, you, <laughs> now you just gotta, you know, now you just gotta fill it in. But, you know, and the reality is I love what, what Dan is saying too. One of the things he said is getting create, you know, getting creative. And I think that might be at least for now, man, I, I, I would find ways to get creative, whether that's shoot, looks like we're going to get outside earlier. looks like we're going to yep. be outside later when it's a little cooler, you know, whatever, yep. or get creative for finding these other opportunities, getting a pool, getting to a pool, getting to the YMCA, getting to like, and making that a daily thing. Cause what, yeah, what you're talking about is just, it's simply a physical need, right? So it's like, if there was a place that you lived and it was a little bit difficult a few months out of the year to get food in the normal times you get food your kids are going to quote unquote act out because there's a physical need like they're hungry right well same thing physical need and so how do we get creative giving them that physical need and just making sure that physical activity becomes a you know it's just a non-negotiable for these little guys yeah super intentional super smart man yeah and i just one other thought on that not not all kids are wired the way that your son is so not Every kid that lives in the Phoenix desert, you know, needs to have physical activity to that level every single day. So being really in tune to what your kid needs and maybe he's just wired for more energy, more exercise, more physical movement. Yeah. Um, and how, how can we put him in the environment where he's going to get that? Mm -hmm. yep. Love it. Okay, cool. I appreciate it. Thank you. Good stuff. Mr. Drake out in California. Yay. Uh, good morning, and uh, Dan, thank you for your time today, sir. Very appreciative. Um, I have this question that's been kind of sitting with me for you know a couple of years now, and I haven't find it, found a clear answer, and I'm, I'm hoping to present it to you to get some insight. And it's this notion of um, labeling when 
you know, and I've noticed it at the school that we run where there's a, there's a particular parent, but I think that it's a lot more prevalent than I, than I realized that, um, that, you know, puts labels like ADHD, men, I don't know them all, but there's, there's a whole like list of labels that she's placing on the child. And then I had an opportunity to, to sit with the child during, you know, kind of a casual session and we were talking and, you know, then she repeated these labels about her. And, and what I realized is that that's her identity being delivered from a psychological perspective, from a parent who's a psychologist, down to her child. Now this child is embodying these labels and presenting herself in that way to the world, which in my view, it's like, I'm this, so I'm a victim and I need special attention and care and recognition from a social setting. So people perceive me as a certain thing needing help in this way rather than like the opposite of that, like full ownership and like, you know, uh, confidence, it's all this victim stuff. Um, So I'm I'm really interested in getting your response on how you respond to parents and maybe how you could help us as like second and third layer uh, individuals in, in these folks' lives to Kind yeah, you're getting, you're, you're getting yeah. me excited because this is the heartbeat of really what I attack with parents. Right. Because um, you're, you're, so just to clarify, the, the parent that kind of throws these labels is actually a psychologist or is it a yeah. teacher? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because n- n- number one, if you're a, a teacher or a teacher says, hey, your kid has this diagnosis, like they're not trained, equipped, or licensed to even say that out loud. <laughs> So anytime a teacher is like, hey, your kid, I think your kid has ADHD, um, they're actually speaking out of their lane or out of turn. But if it's a psychologist, you know, they they have, you know, the mm-hmm. the training or or the the backing to use those labels. So here here's here's kind of the way that I look at it. Are you, is anybody familiar with this approach? It's called the nurtured heart approach. I'm not sure if any that, that I'm actually an advanced trainer for that approach, and it's really the foundation of the coaching model that I use. But what, one of the things that is really, really important for us to know is that whatever we give our energy to, whatever we connect to, whatever we pay attention to, we're actually saying, This is how I see you. Because you get your relationship needs met, you get connection from, from the adult, from the parent when you behave a certain way. So if, so if a kid's hyperactive and every time they're hyperactive, the parent's saying, stop, sit down, why are you so fidgety? What they're inadvertently saying is this is who you are, right? And, and, and so it's super, super important that we are aware that whatever we connect and give our attention to, we're, we're actually sending a message that the kid receives, this is part of my identity. This is who I am. Every time I behave this way, I get loving, caring, passionate adults to come and spend time with me. So, you know, the, the diagnosis of ADHD or ODD or ASD, LMNOP, QRST, like to, to me, that doesn't really serve a purpose much anymore in the work I do because not all symptoms equal pathology. You know, just like, um, I can't remember who just spoke before us. Um, is that Eric? You know, Eric, your kid's super hyper and rambunctious when he doesn't get exercise. It doesn't mean he has a hyperactivity issue. It means he's got energy. He needs to burn some off. He's physical. So 
um, what, one of the things that would be really important to be doing is thinking about what is the identity that's going to serve you well? And how can I see you connect to you in moments where those type of things are happening? So, so the, the, the paradigm shift here is, and I can use this example, but what prompts most teachers or most parents to have a conversation with their kid about respect? What kind of triggers or initiates those conversations? Is that a question to me or the yeah? It, well, to anyone, but yeah, I'll I'll stick with you, Eric, since you formed the question. If you're going to have a conversation with with a kid or with one of your kids about respect, what usually prompts or that really conversation? Triggers that for yeah. most people, it is disrespect. Yes, yeah, it's the opposite. Yeah, yes. And, and, and so how open are kids to your words of wisdom about the importance of being respectful while they're being disciplined or lectured or like kids' defenses go up and it's usually an excuse of why that happened, why it was somebody else's fault or how do I just shake my head so you can stop talking? It's not an optimal time for learning. And unfortunately, if that happens over and over and over again, or the conversation is, you know, I'm connecting every time you're impulsive or you're hyperactive or you have anger issues. What the kid starts to learn is I'm disrespectful. Mm. I'm impulsive. I'm hyperactive. I have problems, you know, with attention. I can't control myself. And, and then they start behaving in a way that's congruent with what's been given to them. And, and so it's really important that, and, and this is a starting point for a lot of the parents and teachers I work with, is identify like five or six character qualities that are really important to you that you want to see your kids demonstrate. And then be intentional about pointing out when you see them being respectful. The time to talk about the importance of respect is not when it's being violated. Right. Like, I, I can't tell you, like... You, you, you see kids lean in when you're confronting them with evidence of being respectful. See how frustrated you are right now. Your brother just took that without asking, but you didn't snap. You didn't hit him. That shows respect and that shows a lot of self-control. Like kids hearing that, that becomes their identity. That becomes the truth. That becomes the narrative of the story. And that, that's, that's the starting point of all the work that I do is like you want less disrespect start confronting them and finding evidence of respectful behavior and prove it to them, provide the evidence. And also, you know, it, it's crazy. Like I, I used to work at a psych hospital and I would do groups for children. Um, you know, they would come to the hospital for a couple of weeks instead of go to school because they were so out of control at home or school. And I get a group with like eight or 10 elementary age boys that all have ADHD. You know, and they'd be sitting in these chairs in a group setting, like the worst setting actual <laughs> for a bunch of hyperactive boys. And the first thing I would say is like, hey, Johnny, I see that you got your feet on your floor. I see you got your butt in a chair. I see your eyes around me. I see that you're not um, talking while I'm talking. You know, I just start confronting. All of a sudden, like within a couple minutes, all these boys are like sitting totally chill. You know, they can't do it. They need medicine. I'm like, that's a bunch of BS. They just need to be seen that way. They need someone to confront them with they have that skill. And when these boys start hearing that, I'm somebody that has respect. I'm somebody that has self-control. I'm somebody that's thoughtful, that's mature. They start acting in a way because that becomes part of their identity. At least that's, that's, that's the fruit of the work that I've been seeing.
for this for this parent if if this parent who's got this background in in you know psychology and she's coming in with all these labels if she's not actively going, okay, I need to figure out a different story. I need to figure out a different narrative. She's not attaching is what you're talking about there with that, you know, the NHD and talking about that approach. I mean, that's over and above what I've seen be effective a million, a million times over setting the environment, right. Getting the established behaviors, like not in that time, but establishing those prior to. And then when you see them exhibited just over and over, man, just like, yes, that's it. That's it. I go over and above. My son opens the door. I still lose my stuff. Even if I don't feel like it, I still lose my stuff every time just to be like, dude, yes, opening the door. You are the man. That's what you do. Like I over and above to just hammer that point home. And then when there's something that needs to be corrected, it's a, it's a calm correction. Right. So mm-hmm. it's like, there's, there's this, but when you have that parent who's coming from a different narrative if she's not actively seeking how to shift her mentality around that. So like in this situation with, with uh, you know, with Eric, is there a way to, to reach out with her without being like, Hey lady, get off your freaking labels. Like, you know what I mean? Like, is that hard? Yeah. That, that's gotta be a hard, I don't know how much trust or how much of a relationship you have with her, Eric. Um, but trying to get her to shift that mentality for her yeah. So this is what I did was I I completely downplayed th- this whole th- conversation and the notion of labeling. And I only I, I took the time and sat back and I was like, what is this girl doing that's awesome right now in this moment? And I only talked about that. I only talked about how you know, I, I, I like the rhythm that you were playing with your fingers because she was all nervous and stuff. I, I like, you know, I, I appreciated how you showed up at school the other day and helped uh, one of your one of your uh, heroes out, you know, your your classmates, um, you know, to, to understand what the challenge is. And, you know, I, I, I did this positive reinforcement about things that that how she's showing up instead of like saying, oh, that's a drag that you're ADHD or whatever the label was in the moment. Um, I didn't even validate it. I wasn't going there. I just don't believe in it. You know, 99% of the time, it's a bunch of crap. And, you know, so, but but I can't say that to the parent, especially. And I, and, and, and then you kind of destroy the, the child's, you know, kind of persona and their ego if you attack that. So I'm like, okay, the best thing I can do, and probably the best, like Dan was saying about respect as an example, is validate the good behaviors or the things that they're doing that are, that are impressive, you know, and, and how they're really, truly showing up. And, you know, eventually, you know, with repetition and um, consistency, they start identifying with those good qualities instead of the negative. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. And it's just, it's so tough to get, you're in a tough position, Eric, too, because it's, you know, I don't, I don't know if Dan, if you've had parents that have like, you know, come to you for help, but maybe like one parent is on board and the other parents not, do you guys ever get in the business of trying to convince the other adult too, or you haven't, you know what I mean? Like, cause I'm sitting from Eric, I've been in your shoes, man. I get it. Right. And so it's like, Oh, like I'm not, I'm not in the business of trying to convince this parent. I can work with the young person that way. The you know the the way that I believe is going to work, 
but how do I get that parent to come on board too? You know, what do you, Dan, what are you doing in those scenarios where it's like, we're trying to also convince another parent, you know, maybe or a co-parenting situation. So yeah. It's not the same thing, but it's sort of the same. Yeah. The, when, when I first went to a training and learned about this specific approach, after about a couple hours in, I raised my hand. I said, what? I can do this all day long at the school, but if they go home and they get the opposite and the parents aren't on board, they're just going to be undoing everything. And, and the guy that was leading this spoke something that's really, really stuck with me. He's like, what a gift it would be for you to provide this evidence to a kid. And now they have something to actually combat what the negativity is that they're getting at home. I like that. And, and you know, so... It, like whether you have teachers or parents on board, your relationship, your input and impact has an exponential influence um, because at some point kids are going to have to say, "Is am I, am I respectful or am I disrespectful? Here's all the evidence. Which one makes me um, feel better? Which one's going to serve me better? And then they have the choice and they can pursue that. As far as getting adults on board, um, my, my experience in kind of the angle I take is what is it that you want? What would you like to see? You know, if this mom's saying this kid has all these diagnoses and labels, it's probably going to inform some type of treatment to provide some resources or skills or support for them. So it, it, my, my angle is like, I hear where you're coming from. I see what your end game is here. How do you want to get there? And, and is the route you're taking cur currently working? Because here's an alternative that I've found. And, you know, quite, quite honestly, like the mental health field is pretty good at putting labels on kids and then coming up with a treatment plan that keeps them stuck. Mm -hmm. Right. When I first learned about like kind of the approach that I'm using now, I was like, Oh my God, thank God I came across this because now I know there's a different way. And then I was really pissed because I was like, how have I been doing this for so long? And nobody's ever told me about this. Like I was doing the best I could with what I had, but it was just the wrong set of tools for some specific kids. And Dan, can you can you offer? I mean, is it just as simple as a Google search or a search for uh, nurtured heart approach and to learn about it and read about it? Yeah, you can do that, or you can just go to my website. I got a lot of information that on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Really good, Dan. Are you okay on on a few more? Uh, I, sure. I want to make sure you're okay time wise too. You're good. Yeah, I got a little more time. Okay, thank you, man. I appreciate it very much. And we've got this is an actual Patterson here. So we got, yeah. and I think he said he has an uncle, Dan Patterson. So that may be who came up in Not the initial when Jake Herbert, you know, was like, hey, man, you got to get Dan on. That might have been who I found. I might have found Uncle Dan. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan, jump in, brother. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Matt. Uh, Mr. Peterson, thank you so much for starting out your week with us. I hope the rest of it goes amazingly. Um, my question kind of came out of uh, something you said in your intro saying, you know, you, you're priding yourself and describing yourself as being very involved, very in tune, very natural children. Um, I'd put myself in that same category. I'd add, you know, affectionate, attentive, all those kinds of things. It's really served me well in my own parenting journey, having to be mother and father for most of their lives. Um, and now that I'm out of that role, I'm remarried. I have a strong, um, capable mother and woman in the home. Um, is there a boundary, if any, or a best practice, would you say, of like, or a role where mom jumps in and dad jumps in, right? I'm thinking like injuries, right? Uh, they get a boo-boo or they get their feelings hurt, right? Is it better to just everybody loves them all the time and everybody gives their 
own capable angle on the situation? Or do you feel like obviously age appropriate too? Or is there ever a time or a place where it's better for mom to jump in and give, you know, the hug and the lift and the squishy and then dad hangs back or, you know, bedtime routines or, I mean, all the way down to like pet names, right? Baby versus buddy and all that kind of stuff. Like as they grow, these things naturally change. But do you see any distinction, if any, any role distinction between mom and dad just as like a general, like a general rule of thumb? Mm -hmm. So, so there's a word you're using that I would challenge you to um, eliminate in, the, in this dynamic, and that's better. It, it's like your kids are created to have a mother and father, and both of them are extremely necessary. And if, if there's one that's right and one that's wrong, you're, you're actually eliminating part of the gift that your kids um, have, the, have the possibility to receive. So um, my, my, my thought is if your kid falls, and skins their knee, they need both. They need a compassionate, loving mother who's going to say, oh, you'll, you'll be okay, and you know, kiss it and pamper them to death. And then they need a dad to say, like, dust it off, we'll be fine, let's go. Like, like I, don't, I don't think they need one or the other. I think they need both. And a lot of the times when I'm, I'm working with parents, you know, they're, they're butting heads on a form of discipline. Like, you either need to be more strict or you need to be more patient. And, and like the goal that they think they have is like, we need to get on the same page or we need it, which implies we need to do things the same way. And to me, that's the biggest myth or that's the biggest lie. Like, no, you don't need to do things the same way. You need to have the same objective you're trying. And that's a healthy, resilient, well-adjusted child. But how you're going to get there is going to be dependent upon both parents being authentic and genuine and giving their gift. And if, like the moms were supposed to do it more like the dads or the dads more like the moms. One of, one of them would be irrelevant. Right. And so it's not about like being best or being better. It's like both giving exactly what you think your kid needs in those moments. The only caveat I'd say to that is, and I see this more with moms than I do with, with fathers where they're, they're, um, they're too pampering. They don't allow their kid to kind of struggle. They rescue them from pain, you know, and there's a maternal instinct that, that I don't have <laughs> that when I see my kid in pain, I'm, I'm more likely to say, um, like, I see that you're hurting. What is it that you need versus let me be your serve. Let me be the one that rescued from that. Right. So if there's some of that, I, I think definitely that needs to be pulled back, but your kid falls and gets hurt. They need both. They need compassion, patience, love, nurturing, and they need like, you'll be fine. Suck it up. Let's go. I don't know if that answers specifically what you're getting to, but that, that was kind of yeah, my initial it, thoughts. It, it does. And, and obviously like everything, there's a lot of going to be a lot of nuance and context of where that question comes from. But um, generally speaking, I, I'd say I agree and gave me some stuff to chew on. I appreciate it. Cool. We'll go and we'll, uh, let's see, Mr. Yeah, there we go. Mr. Schramm. Hey, good morning. Can you all hear me? We got you, sir. How are you? Awesome. Doing great. Beautiful day here in Austin. Uh, thanks for joining the call today. Really appreciate it. I love when I have some homework after these calls. So I got some good stuff to go look up. Appreciate that. Um, I did have like one super specific tactical question for me specifically, and then kind of more like a holistic overall approach question. Um, the first one is, 
my daughter's been super anxious about me getting a new job because my previous jobs have led me to be away for weeks at a time. Um, and so she's like kind of happy. I haven't found one yet uh, and has been anxious around that. And so anything tactically I can do um, with her specifically for that would be awesome. And then uh, do you want me to roll on the second one or do you want to knock that one out? What, what do you mean um, anything you can help her with? Help to alleviate the the the, uh, the feelings of like a um, continued abandonment, or you know. So, is your strategy right now? Because this is pretty common when kids get really anxious. We we try to reassure them and say everything's going to be fine. You don't need to worry. Like we'll be good. Is that kind of your initial way of trying to deal with it? Yeah, and and also like uh, you're reiterating to her like the the previous way of things is not going to be the the way they are in the future. But all she knows is the way they've been. So and and so when you share that with her, is she like, you know what, Dad? That's a great point. Thanks for sharing that with me. I'm cool. I'm calm. Go get them. <laughs> not quite. <laughs> Never right. They probably yeah. she probably gets a little bit more anxious or a little bit more worried or stubborn. So so here here's kind of a a, a mindset or um, kind of a hack or a trick you can use with anxiety. Anytime your kid's presenting with anxiety, it's an irrational fear or an excessive worry. And you trying to talk to them about it logically or reassuring is super condescending and ineffective. It's like talking Japanese to someone that speaks Polish. It's going to be super frustrating. You're going to be butting heads. It's not going to make progress. Um, and actually it, 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 inadvertently communicates that you should be worried and anxious because I don't get it. So anytime you're dealing with someone with anxiety, you have to have a different conversation with them. And you have to get really curious about what they're worried about or what they're anxious about, what their experience is. And you have to create space for them to be able to talk about that freely without you trying to fix it. Because the best solution or the best way to kind of get past anxiety if you're struggling is if you feel like you're equipped and you have the tools, right? So how can you create a conversation with her where she's the expert, where you fully trust that she's going to be okay and you're just curious about her experience? Yeah, I mean, as you were talking, I was thinking about asking her questions, you know, like, you know, help me understand how you felt when I was away. What, yeah. what, how, did, how did you feel? What, are, what did you think? I'm um, kind of starting there. Yeah. And when she starts sharing, your your job in those moments is to say that makes total sense to me. I totally get it. I can see how that would happen. Mm -hmm. Don't provide solutions, though. Don't say, well, would it help if I did this? Or this time it will be different. You just ask her and, and you say, like, I, I totally get that you're worried about this. Um, makes sense to me that, like, if I got a job, you would, you know, be concerned that it would turn out the same way. Is there anything that I can do or is there anything that you need to help kind of work through that? Because I'm going to need to get a job. Like I have to provide, yeah. right? In, in anxiety, if, if the person that is dealing with anxiety, the, the goal is not to become less anxious, it's to become more brave. Mm -hmm. and, and so like the second part of that is really being intentional about pointing out to her where you see her being courageous and brave. Because the more in tune and the more that becomes part of our identity, the more equipped and confident she's going to be to be able to handle in certain times. No, I, think awesome. Jordan, I think Jordan Peterson talks a little bit about that too, where it's, it's not about being less anxious, about being more brave and more courageous. 
Yep, 100%. I, I would think the context was facing whatever the fear was directly head on. Yeah. Afraid of heights, whatever, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, no, that, that's awesome. And I think, would, would, would you kind of also layer in kind of a question like describe for me how, how you would l- like to feel or, or like kind of to put <laughs> like the future, bring the future into it in a way? Um, yeah, I guess I don't I don't really have an opinion one way or the other on how would you like to feel? Cause because again, to me, asking that question is putting pressure on her to stop feeling the way she is. Um yeah, so I, I guess my my initial thought on that would be, you know, like hold off on that and spend more time pointing out when you see her feeling differently. Yeah, you know, it takes a lot of courage to bring this up to dad to be all honest and open. Like it shows that you know how to advocate for yourself. Shows that you're willing to talk about things that are uncomfortable, which is exactly what she's needing to do more of. Do things that are uncomfortable. Yeah, and from I mean, and I and I, I know you're not asking me, but jumping in on this man from a um, a developmental standpoint the futuristic thinking because there is the element of abstraction in there that doesn't tend to and again blanket sort of man that doesn't tend to really start to take root until 12ish right or that's yeah. really something they can think through and think through the patterns and the ramifications and all that kind of stuff that goes along with that too right so they understand the concept she understands that this the concept of the future but to really be able to think in that and bring emotion to that developmentally she's just not there yet right so the emotions are going to stay within the now right she's not able to necessarily transfer that to the future and go okay this is going to be good because like developmentally she's just not there yet because she's not 12 you know that's right so um you know that's just something to consider for now when you're dealing i think you know what dan's saying um i think it makes a whole lot of sense from a developmental standpoint Cool. No, I appreciate that. Um, and if I still have time, um, the, the the second one is going to be about me and the relationship with her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, at, um, we have a really great relationship. You know, we uh, we moved down to Austin, Texas, just to go to Apogee uh, Cedar Park. Um, we're putting them first in almost everything we do. Um, so we're really strong there, I think. And, and we get along really well. And we just spent Thanksgiving together. Uh, but there's a part of me that is like, are we... Um, we haven't like committed to, to recommitting. I know Matt hates the recommit word, but uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? So like the door is still open, but we haven't, we, you know, we haven't cemented it. And if it, it, do you think there's any damage we could be doing while spending this time together, um, you know, as, as a family unit, but not, but still living separately with no kind of end in sight for that. How, how old's your child? So Ayla is nine and Dub is seven. And, and you guys were married, living as a family union, and now you're separated or divorced and contemplating getting back? Yeah, to put a little bit of context on it, uh, we got to, separated in like 20, late 2017. So the kids were yeah. four and two. So they've never really known us living together. But we've always had um, a pretty good relationship outside of, you know, some, some issues, but as far as being around them and putting them first, um, we've been able to do that. So, uh, but yeah, there's, there's, there was hope in this con in the context of moving down here for Apogee, putting this together, like this would be kind of the, the, um, the catalyst to, to get us back together. 
uh, maybe closer to family and other things. And we just haven't had that conversation. She hasn't been there yet. Um, and I just, I, I don't want to, it, it's almost like I feel like I need to address it or do something about it now before we continue to give them hope. Cause my son was just asking me about like why we don't live together again, which we're, we're supposed to be going to Florida, you know, for some holidays there uh, together. So I just, I don't know if you ever come across this or anything like it. Yeah. <clears throat> Sounds like your gut's telling you that you need to be really proactive about this. <laughs> a little bit yeah <laughs> so i so what's keeping you from doing that that uh, fear right uh a fear initially right to to fear of being rejected again um yeah that's that's one aspect of it um kind of one of my rules of thumb is any decision you make out of fear is probably the wrong one hmm. unless it's like a, a real danger like you know i shouldn't <laughs> run into this house that's on fire because i could die right yeah. But decisions like parenting decisions, relationship decisions based out of fear, like just so you know, you're going to get rejected again, may not be to the same degree, but rejection happens quite frequently in relationships. Are you equipped and are you at a place where you can, you have confidence that you can navigate those waters and handle it? I don't know. I, maybe I'm stepping over my, my bounds here a, a little bit, but. I just sense that you kind of know that this is something that you need to tackle, you need to address, and there's an obstacle, and that obstacle is the fear. And yeah, I'd hate for, I, I would hate for you to continue to stay on the sideline here or not sure because you're worried or fearful. Yeah, I, th I think the other thing was giving her enough. I feel like I, I pressed too hard on this um, years ago and pushed her away by doing that and giving her the space to see you know, her own professional help and, and get herself in line is that she told me she was broken before and not ready. And so to, to give her that space, but, um, but I think it's definitely we're, we're approaching that, you know, I mean, so we're going to be going to this gala together all as a family and doing this. Um, and so you'll, you know, and Matt met her before she's awesome, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely eating at me. Um, <clears throat> especially when there's definitely, I don't even want to get into it, but other opportunities for me to go after if I choose to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I do appreciate the caution of let's not pursue this and give the kids false hope that this is going to be a new family unit or a restored family unit until you and your wife are, or you and your, your ex are clear that that's what you want to be pursuing. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one, man. Yeah. There's a difference between I'll talk about this later. I want to honor time. We'll get Mr. Cha-Cha. We want to make sure we're honoring Dan's time and, and get him out. But there's a difference between the stories, you know, stories you heard and the stories you read. And then even the stories you wrote versus the story that you're writing too. you know, and sometimes you got to get them all out and take a look at the differences too. Cause I think a lot of times we stay in that operation out of what we heard or what we read before or what we even maybe wrote before versus, okay, cool. That doesn't necessarily impact the one we're writing right now it doesn't have to you know and but they're harder to separate um but we got to realize those are different stories and that's literally where i use writing to a lot of times you know get get through all of those yeah good question man all right let's get let's get mr cha-cha in here and we want to honor mr patterson's time he's already going above and beyond man so we'll make this last one um and then we'll go through and do our debrief but we want to make sure we know where to support mr patterson as well so be or, or, or peterson i mean you can call me by my real name god bless america i'm sitting here looking i got 
Ryan Patterson next to him. <laughs> I blame Jake Herbert for screwing this whole thing up from the beginning. Jesus. Yeah, keep keep blaming someone else. That's uh, that's so you I'm just gonna call you freaking Patterson. You, I'm gonna. I'll just call Mr. you Jim Chacha's, from now on. How's that? Dude, while he's answering, while while Mister Chacha is asking the question, mm -hmm. I'm gonna bring up your contact in my phone, and I'm gonna show everybody how I wrote it too. So, <laughs> yeah, Brian, go ahead and, and jump in here, sir. Matt, Matt, you can well, call me Paterson again if if that helps you. We can go I back. I call you, you Paterson because hey maybe get an extra tea next time like everybody else in this country you know what i mean yeah well i i appreciate you uh mr peterson for uh for, for taking this call man it's been really eye-opening i'm kind of um I'll, I'll save the context next as needed i got a couple of questions concerning um get, getting involvement i've been taking notes involvement from parents um uh specifically like when when parents other parents not are looking to you as the expert you've mentioned some of the strategies that you found successful in engaging them to lead their children like um asking them what their outcome is how they want to get there um but how do you manage um how have you found it to be successful to, to change their perspective from i, I suppose you, you are an expert but them expecting you to be the solution versus making them not just part of the solution but the the, the impetus for the solution um that's my kind of first question the second question is is a personal question but it's it's, it's related to um to myself is when it comes to helping manage families and doing you know what i consider god's work with family with children like how do you do that how how well do you do that excuse me how do you manage that with your family as well like i know it's been you know 25 years but how have you found like some strategies to help you manage yourself as you help other people i hope that makes sense yeah are you um are, are you kind of talking about like imposter syndrome where i'm giving all this great advice and i'm helping these these families but sometimes i suck as a parent or sometimes i screw things up or is it more about what? keeping myself on the straight and narrow so that I'm practicing what I guess I'm not quite sure what you mean by that last one? Yeah. So, OK, so that last one is essentially uh, th there comes up, you know, there's obviously lots of points where like you're needing to do the thing that you need to do where for your family. And so when it comes to um, like for me. I find that it, it is difficult at times to focus on helping other people when my focus is on trying to help my family but it's difficult to like i don't know how to express that to my mm -hmm. family sometimes because it's like hey what you're doing is good out there but it's like yeah i know but like i'm spending more time out there and i feel being i'm drawing drawing away from my family but from the outside everybody looking in it's like oh man you're doing really good at this and i'm trying to get better at helping students and stuff yeah that you know that that's that's an interesting question. That's actually part of why I I joined like the Dad Edge um, Alliance for Business Owners because um, the the focus like the focus of that is how do I excel at being a dad, at being a husband, and being a business owner? How do I juggle all of those in a way where I excel at all of them, as opposed to one suffering at the you know at the expense of the other one excelling? Um, for me, it's it's having a very clear picture in my head what I'm going to be accomplishing, and and I'm asking myself on a weekly basis um, how am I going to be serving my clients, how am I going to be serving my children, each and every one of them, and how am I going to be serving my wife? 
Um, and if I'm asking myself those questions and I have a goal each week or a plan on how I'm going to make that happen, like it takes care of itself. And, 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 and in those moments where I need to spend more time at work because I have to be gone for a week, my, my kids and my wife are a lot more gracious and understanding because I've made a ton of investment in time and energy up until those points. Um, I'm not sure if that is helpful or if that gives you some some clarity in your question, but that that's how I personally and professionally do it. Yeah, that that's that's super helpful. I, I appreciate that. Um, and then just to, just kind of the, the first part of that question that I had was engaging with the parents. It I shouldn't I'm not going to use the word best, but when it comes to getting them involved in the process and changing the perspective, or is it is it the goal to change you from being the expert that fixes my kid? to them being, you know, the primary caregiver or, you know, how, how, aside yeah, from, yeah. Yeah, I, I got you. My, so my, my, my belief is that parents and the parents that I serve, they, they want to be good parents. They want to enjoy their kids. They take that responsibility seriously, but they're lacking the tools or they're lacking the experience or they're lacking the support. And so my, like, my strategy is um, to be super powerfully encouraging to them and build them up and, and talk to them about what I see them doing well and how they're, they're the right person for this job and that the only reason they're struggling is because they've been trying to build a house with a stapler, <laughs> right? And, and so my job is to teach you how to use a hammer, teach you how to use a saw, teach you how to use um, you know scaffolding. And really, this isn't a matter of you screwing this up. This is a matter of you just getting the right training so you can get the results and outcomes you want. Um, and parents, like when they feel like, okay, this is not my fault, but it's my responsibility. I just have to invest in learning something different. Like the energy totally shifts. The mental health and therapy energy is your kid has symptoms and pathology and a diagnosis. And we have to learn how to manage this and tolerate it versus, you know, your kid has potential. It's just how do we creatively find a way to ignite that? And then what are the tools that are going to help get you there? What do you want to achieve? How can we do this together? It's, it's much more of a partnership and like equipping as opposed to diagnosing, treating and symptoms. Thank you. Good word, sir. Oh man, tons. Of, oh, Peter snuck it in last, last, last second. No, jump in, jump in through guys. Want to make sure we're honoring his time. Go for it, sir. I was just going to respond to, I, I'm sorry, his initials just say BC. So I, I, Mr. I don't know. Mr. Brian Cha Cha. Oh, Brian. So one of the things, this is just two cents of raising two boys. One thing that I've tried to be careful about is don't try to be the perfect parent. And, and when you're serving others, you know, you're serving others, but when you go back home, you don't have to be perfect, but with it, with a gold is in it, in my opinion, acknowledge to your children when you're not being perfect and then teach them how to, how you're correcting your own behavior. And that, that, that was always power. I don't know if Dan would agree, but that was always powerful with my boys. And I'll be honest with you. I did it up until even last week, like where I, my 22 year old and my, he's looking at me right now because he works with me, but my 22 year old and my 19 year old, I, this times I have to admit like, guys, look, I messed up. 
and he, I want to explain what I messed up. And you're then in turn leading your kids to teach them that. And that's more powerful than anything. So don't, we, we're, you know, Phil Robertson talks about it, right? Don't be perfect. Don't strive for that. I'm not saying don't work your butt off to do everything that we should do, but you're not going to be perfect. But that's a learning moment every day. Powerful, I appreciate buddy. that, man. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no such thing as perfection, but we can always strive, strive for that very thing. It remains the standard, no matter mm -hmm. what, right? No matter if we'll never hit it. Um, Dan, this is awesome, man. Oh, and that's what the last thing I wanted to show you was how you are in my phone. Let's see if I can get it up here. So let's see. Boom. Dan Patterson, actually Peterson. There it is. <laughs> That's it right there. That is how you are forever going to be in my phone. Um, thank you, Jake Herbert. So, man, this is super, super grateful for you coming on the show, for you pouring into these men. Um, we want to make sure we do right by you. Where do we send people? Because this goes out to a good size audience too. Where do we send them? And then how do we as an organization continue to support you and your family? Yeah, super generous of you. Um, yeah, just probably the best way to get to get in touch with me personally, just go to my website, the Compass for Life. That's the number four. Yep. Um, I got some free resources there. My contact page. Just let me know that you're on this call. I'll reach out to you directly. Um, then I also just I have a Facebook page. All of that I you know I can send you, and you can just post it to the guys. If um, they want to follow me on Facebook, that's the primary social media that I use. Sir. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. Will, man. And anything we can, I mean, like I said. well, so, so the, like my bread and butter is I do a 90 day coaching program to help parents learn and master some skills to help um, like really transform the dynamic between the parent and child. And it's usually kids between the ages of four and 12 that are not responding to typical parenting strategies. So if you guys know families like that, uh, I'd love to be able to help them help get things turned around. Awesome. Um, what used to take, you know, 12 to 18 months in therapy, I can get done in 90 days if the parents are all in. So if you know any parents that really, really want to make some change, I'd love to help them. That's awesome. Oh, so rad, brother. Well, super appreciative. We'll make sure all that stuff's in there. Let's keep the conversation going too, man. You got my number. You got the email. Um, whatever I can do. This is very much same team. Like I said, Larry's a dear friend. Jake is obviously a dear friend. Um, you know, and and these are these are two two groups, two organizations on the same mission, man. It's just a whole yeah. it's a whole bunch of good men doing good things and leading. So whatever we can do to continue to serve too, man. Please say the word. Yeah, I definitely need to follow up with you about your your schools because I'm about ready to pull my hair out with the public schools in my area. It's driving me freaking crazy. So understood. <laughs> I understand that as much as anybody on, on this planet understands it, sir. I'm right there. Yeah. yeah, no, glad to have some more conversations, brother, for sure. Cool. All right, man. You guys take care. It's great, great uh, sitting down and talking with all of you. Thank you, sir.